Hello, and welcome to Figure of Speech, a program from WRBH where every week you can meet local poets and writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. This week we welcome on Anthony Charles III. Anthony grew up in New Orleans but later moved to the West Bank. He writes short, quirky, and surreal stories and screenplays. He was also born May 4th, 1977, Star Wars Day. So, without further ado, here's Anthony. Welcome, listeners, to the anthologies of the episode. I'm your host, the American Stranger. In this episode, you'll hear stories from the Weird Bank, a.k.a. the West Bank. In one of our stories, you'll hear, you'll hear of a man, a cactus, and a road trip of adventure and self-discovery, and on the road with Fanny. The journey begins. My name's Stanley, and my life changed when I answered a knock on the door. I was greeted by a six-foot humanoid cactus with red hair. She was wearing a miniskirt and a t-shirt. She told me her name was Fanny and asked if I would go on a road trip of adventure, then and there in an RV motorhome. I was intrigued at first. It's not every day that I talk with a cactus. A panda? Sure, but a cactus? That's unusual. But as I looked at my small apartment, I thought to myself, this could be the chance I've been waiting for. I've never traveled America, an opportunity only knocks once. My therapist says I, see, I should meet new people. Sure, I said. My name's Stanley. Glad to meet you, Fanny. So I packed up some things, and I've been on the road with Fanny ever since. We travel America on the highways and byways of our country. First adventure, a stop on the road. Fanny and I were on our way to the local state fair when out of nowhere in the night, lightning struck the road, stopping our RV dead in its tracks. Then he appeared in front of our RV. We had thought it was only rumors, but it's true. He is real. He is the ninja with the funky banjo. It's said on these long roads at night, a ninja who plays a funky banjo will challenge you to a game of cornhole. If you win, you will be allowed to go to your destination. But if you lose, the ninja will play a funky banjo that will bring your doom. As you can guess, Fanny and I were scared. Halt, roared the ninja. I challenge you and your gender-fluid cactus friend to a game of cornhole. If you win, you'll be free to travel this road. But if you lose, you'll taste, the, you'll taste doom at the hands of my funky banjo. We had no choice. We had to play the ninja. So we stepped out of the RV. Soon the ninja played a tune on his banjo. In a flash of lightning, a cornhole set appeared where corn cobs were thrown inside. So there we were, playing cornhole with the ninja. It was Fanny's turn to go first. She got a few corn cobs in the hole, but the ninja soon bested her. Now, said the ninja looking at me, it's your turn to face my cobs of victory. I saw the worried look on Fanny's face. I braced myself. I threw the corn into the hole. We won by only two points. No! shrieked the ninja. I have been beaten by a man and a cactus. I have tasted defeat. Eddie shouted, lightning streaked the sky. He took out his funky banjo. We thought he was going to play, but then he looked at us and said, you two have beaten me. I will play my funky banjo, but not to doom you, no. I will play the tale of your victory, how Fanny and Stanley defeated the ninja with the funky banjo. You may go on this road, with my blessing, to be continued. 
Second adventure, Griso the Vampire. It was 11 p.m. at the Crispy Pigeon, and Fanny and Stanley were in the fight of their lives. They had been hired by the manager of said Crispy Pigeon to protect the fried pigeon joint from Griso, the grease-drinking vampire. Drinking grease was his superpower, and he had been drinking grease at different fast food joints, and the Crispy Pigeons was now in his sights. Move aside. I have no quarrel with you. I am here for the sweet grease of the Crispy Pigeons, said the vampire. And we have no quarrel with you, said Stanley. Just leave this fried pigeon joint alone and we can all be happy. Well smirked the grease vampire. A man, a cactus, dressed as a cheerleader will not stop me. Behold, the power of cholesterol. Griso snapped his oily fingers and razor-toothed onion rings appeared with flying drumsticks. Now, taste the power of Griso. Look out, yelled Fanny, as he jumped in front of Stanley and deflected an oncoming onion ring. Thanks for saving me, said Stanley, but you've got to stop the vampire. He is using this to distract us. I can deal with the onion rings and drumsticks. You have to stop the grease vampire from drinking the oil. You're right, said Fanny. As she ran to the crispy pigeon, she found Grease about to drink the frying oil. She didn't know what to do. Then she dropped a weapon. She turned around, bent over, and launched herself butt first. At, at Greaso, hitting him in the face with her three butt cheeks. Taste my butt needles, she roared. Ah! shrieked the vampire. Booty needles! How dare you smite me with your butt? You will pay with your life for stabbing me with your thick behind. Griso snapped his fingers again and two flying drumsticks swooped at Fanny. She dodged one of the drumsticks and grabbed the other, ran to Griso, plunging the drumstick deep into the heart of the vampire. No, shouted Griso, stabbed by my own drumstick. He soon started to turn to a pole of grease. You think you have won, he menaced? But I will get my revenge on you and Stanley. No, this cactus. I will get even. Then all that was left was a puddle of grease. It was then that Fanny saw Stanley walking to the restaurant. Did you stop him? Yes, said Fanny. I stabbed him with his own drumstick. All that's left of him is this oil puddle. Later that day, it was 9 a.m., and the artwork ride a big wheel rolled into the Crispy Pigeon. He was the manager. When he saw Fanny and Stanley mopping up what was left of Griso, he was hopeful. Did, did, did you do it? queried the artwork. Yeah, we did, said Faye. We stopped the grease vampire. No longer will fast food joints be threatened by him. Thank you, said the art bark. And with that, he paid them both $500 each and gave them two orders to go of two greasy bags of fried pigeons. As Stanley and Fanny got into the RV, the manager slash artwork watched them with a tear in his eye. May fortune follow you on the roads you travel. Sore Pigs Hey, Stanley here. You might be asking me why me and Fanny are in the swords of Anthem, Arizona. Well, to make a long story short, we were hired by the BBA, the Bacon Baron of Arizona, to go into the stores to get a pound of sweet honey, ba sweet honey bacon, sore bacon. But the BBA did not tell us that the swords of Anthem are ruled by Sally, queen of the sore pigs. So, said Sally, you came here to take my sweet honey sore bacon. Well, if you want my sow belly, then you'll have to fight me in a kickboxing match. Which one of you will fight me? I will, I said. We came here for those sweet honey sore bacon and we're not leaving till we get it. Very well, said Sally. So here I am in the sewers, kickboxing the queen of the sore pigs. The first round 
Sally hit me with a hard punch and a few kicks to the stomach. But it was by round three that I got my second win and fought back, coming in with a volley of jabs and uppercuts and ended with a sidekick to her face. As I knocked Sally down, it was then that she gave me an offer. You are the first person to beat me, Stanley. I will give you this offer. Stay here and be my princess of the swords and rule at my side. What do you say? Me? Stanley? A princess of the swords of, An of Anthem? A princess. I have to admit, it does sound nice. And I do have a thing for obese women in loincloths. It was then that I looked at Fanny for an answer. It's your party, she said. You have to make the choice. No, I said. No, I said to Sally. I cannot be your princess. Me and Fanny are friends, and I cannot leave her. Very well, said Sally. You may take my bacon. Roasted fresh from the sewer. As we climbed out the sewer with the bacon, Fanny said, thanks, Stanley. You're a good friend as well. Now let's go get paid. Stanley's Diary. September 16, 2019. Dear Diary, Fanny and I are driving from Anthem to Phoenix. As I look out the window and, and look at the open road and sunshine, I feel like I can truly reflect on how my life has changed since the death of my parents and the breakup of with my partner, Hugh. They were a gelatinous and gendered bubble. We were together for two years. We were boyfriend and bubble friend, as bubbles don't have gender. But then they called to tell me that they were moving on, and that was only a few days after my parents passed. So there I was, my parents dead, and my partner, Bubble, dumped me. It was needless to say that I was not in the best mood. And then, it is when I answered a knock on my door. And I was greeted by Fanny, a cactus person, asking if I wanted to join her on an adventure. And not having parents or a partner, I decided to take her up on, on, on it. And we've been on the road since. We make our living as work campers. But there has been something on my mind since, since we've been on the road, and that is learning to let go of the past. I have deleted pics of me and Hugh from my phone. If I'm to truly move on, then I need to let go of it. As Fanny said, the past is the past. And who needs it when you're on your way to creating a new you? So I will say this, Hugh. For what it was worth, I had a nice time with you. I really enjoyed floating in your liquid oxygenated core. But, as you said, there comes a time when we must move on from one another. And I'm moving on without you. The past is the past and I'm on my way to creating a new me. This is very exciting for me. I'm creating a new Stanley with new experiences. I'm so glad Fanny's here with me. Well, looks like we're here in Phoenix. We'll be staying at the Dead Possum Motel. We'll sleep here overnight, and then we'll be on the road again. I'm looking at some places we can travel. One of the places is Gretna, Louisiana. There's this place called Terrytown. I think I'll talk to Fanny about it tomorrow. Now it's my turn to fix dinner. I'll be making a family dish. Meet Honey Gumbo. Well, diary, that's all I can write, write in you for today. I'll write again later. Love, Stanley. Well, listeners, that was On the Road with Fanny, a story of travel, adventures, grease vampires, cactuses, sore honey bacon, and kickboxing. But now, on for a story of romance, a story that might bring a sense of loveliness to you. 
a story of a man and his girlfriend. In this tale, we like to call My Girlfriend Becky. Tonight, I was with my girlfriend. The missionaries were supposed to come over for a church lesson and dinner Becky had made. A stew. The missionaries were late, and I decided to ask Becky about this. Have you called the missionaries to let them know? Uh, sure, said Becky nervously. Just enjoy the dinner. I made it. It was then that I looked at the stew we, we were eating. It was then when I noticed a missionary ring in the bowl. Becky, I said angrily, you invited the missionaries over, you killed them, and then you made them into this stew. Am I right? <sighs> yes, sighed Becky. I did. When the bishop said to feed our missionaries, I did feed them. To you and me, he was not sp specific. Besides, Sister Lana and Sister Hannah were good missionaries. And say what you will, the women of Salt Lake have great taste. And when I saw Sister Hannah's big thighs, I knew she would make a great stock. Maybe, I said, but you can't go around eating the missionaries and the priesthood for that matter. That's why the Relief Society does not allow you anywhere near the children without a muzzle. Those are the last missionaries. How are we going to explain it to the bishop? As I looked at Becky's blood-stained lips, I just... You need help. You really need help. You need to go to Cannibals Anonymous. I mean, if you want me to be your boyfriend, then please go to Cannibals, Cannibals Anonymous. I don't think a relationship can last if you're killing and eating the members of the church. I love you, but I can't stay with you if you keep killing and eating people. You're right, said Becky. She went up and hugged me. I will go to CA tomorrow. Well, till then, I, I made some pudding from Sister Lisa's blood. It was that time of the month, and I didn't want it to go to waste. Want some? Sure, I said, but after this, you're going to get help. I should have known never to date a Wendigo. Becky joined CA. Becky took a deep breath. <sighs> As she looked at the office building, well, the way to solve a problem is to admit you have one, she said to herself. I have to remember that I'm not alone and that there are other people who know what it's like to go through the urges and to fight them. The people in that building have been through the same thing you have been through, walking with the cravings and urges. They know how to deal with them because they have the same addiction, and that addiction has cost me a relationship and a job. It's because of this addiction that my fiancé left me. It was then that Becky walked into the office and saw a group of men and women sitting in chairs. It was, it was then that a man in a jacket and tie came to her. Hello, said the man. My name is Dr. Richard. Please introduce yourself to the group. And with that, she said, Hi, everyone. My name is Becky. Hi, Becky, said the group in unison. Well, said Dr. Richard, welcome to CA Cannibals Anonymous. It was then that Becky let out a sigh of relief. She could admit to everyone that she was a cannibal and how it affected her. Her would-be husband called off the marriage after she tried to eat his nephew. It was then that Becky knew she had a problem. She took a seat with the other cannibals and took the oath. I, state your name, promise not to eat anyone. I promise to smother you in kisses, not sriracha. I promise not, I promise not to see you at lunch or dinner, but to take you to lunch or dinner. I will make you breakfast. I will not make breakfast out of you. All lives matter. So, I will not eat those lives. As Becky recited the oath, she felt a weight come off her chest. She knew she was not alone. 
Yes, she said. My name is Becky, and I am a cannibal who wants to recover. And that, dear readers, is the story of Becky, a cannibal who wishes to recover from her cannibal addiction. If we can, if you do see her, try to give her encouragement. Let her know that she's not the only person that ever raised a fork to our fellow man or woman. But on to another story, a story of, of attacks, a story of war, a story of flying wiener dogs, and what we like to call attack of the flying wiener dogs. Stay back, you foul demon, said Clem, as he swung his swiffer at the flying wiener dog. He was able to knock back one of them, but there were more on the way. As he looked up, he saw a sky full of winged wiener dogs, as they swooped down to the neighborhood to bite the ears and ankles of people. Clem was scared. The neighborhood was under siege, and he was only armed with a swiffer and a hand vacuum. But as he saw a group of, of flying dogs around the ice cream truck, he swallowed his fear, gripped his swiffer tighter, and ran to the fray to save the ice cream truck and get a free ice cream, he hope. Clem came in, swaying his swiffer around like a kung fu master, knocking away some wiener dogs and using his hand vacuum on the others. Thank you, said the ice cream truck, truck driver. No problem, said Clem. Can I have a freeze pop? Sure, said the ice cream man. He gave Clem a freeze pop and drove off. But as soon as Clem was about to taste his freeze pop, he had heard a scream. The scream came from old Lady McLindy, the librarian. Hang on, Miss McLindy. Help is on the way. Clem grated his teeth. Well, duty called. He ran down the street to the library to save Miss McLindy. The rest of the, and the rest of the neighborhood. And the face is destiny. He was Clem, defender of Terrytown, slayer of the flying wiener dogs. World War Wiener Dog. Due to the constant attacks in our hometowns by winged wiener dogs, they fly into our city terrorizing every man, woman, and child. We have had no choice but to create a task force to deal with the menace, a group of trained women and men who will take on these, these flying wiener dogs and defend our city. These special forces are the Black Celts. The Celtic defenders are trained and armed with the best in anti-wiener dog technology, from bite shields to guns and the best in five-speed tricycles. The wiener dogs have met their match. We will turn the tide. So join now, citizen. Become a black kelp today. And remember the black kelp motto. What does not kill us, we take it to court and sue it. Sergeant Boudreaux rallies the troops. I have been given information from the higher-ups that a horde of wiener dogs will be flying to the West Bank in one hour. Our citizens have been told to stay indoors and go to shelters. As for us, we are to go out with our shields, our guns, and our tricycles. We are to face the heart, face to muzzle, and stop them from invading the West Bank, which is the best bank. I don't know why, but it is. The West Bank is kind on you all. I will not lie. Some of you will not make it back. But, that, but, but it is not about you. We are fighting for our loved ones. Think about your wives, your husbands, your girlfriends, your boyfriends, the poster of that cute girl in your room that you kiss and talk to because you're alone and no one's around to talk to you and you have nobody except just a poster. And okay, that's just me. Anyway, we will stand together. The Black Celt will triumph. Well, I'm back, dear readers. The American Strangers here again with you. And here we, and here we are. Well, another new story, a story of romance, again, a story of love, a story of giant roaches, and a story of rat gumbo, 
in what we like to call Writers and Butchers of the Apocalypse. We hope you enjoy this one. In a world riddled with an urgent need for pest control, intrepid young people adapt to modernize the threat of rampant vermin. Part 1. Roach Rider on the Range since the, accident, since the accidental toxic waste spill, the roach population in our fair city has grown to, shall we say, the size of bulls. Now this, would normally, now, this normally could be a problem for us, but it's not because we have the roach riders. Many women who ride these wild mutant roaches, they go to domesticate them. Breaking in the roach, as it's called, once the roach is domesticated, it can be used in all sorts of ways. For example, transportation. Many people have found that by traveling by roach, it's the best way to get around. No gas, no insurance, just grab just a saddle, grab the antenna, and you're ready to go. The, car, the carbon emission rates have gone down since many of our fine citizens have traded their cars for roaches. We have a new system which is fast replacing the outdated internal combustion taxi, Roachbird, an app that allows passengers to get rides from roach riders. Domesticated mutant roaches can be used to power our homes. Just put a couple of fillies a slang term used by roach riders, on a turbine, and they can power your entire domicile. Many of our citizens are using domesticated roaches as, as an alternative fuel source. This was a bright and optimistic future, and for one roach rider, this was going to be a turning point. His name was Travis. He was one of the best, he was one of the best human roach riders. He came from a family of roach riders. Of course, his dad was a roach rider, his mother was a roach breaker, but his family had, had met tragic ends. His mother died while breaking in Mustang Alley, one of the toughest roaches on the ranch. Travis' dad died after branding a wild roach. Travis can remember his dad's last words from his deathbed. Son, when I first met your mother, she had teeth that could bite a roach's exoskeleton. Then he passed on. But Travis was not sad, for the day he was going to make his family proud. He was going to the roach rodeo, where he would break in, in the roaches, brand them, and perform competitive peats in all aspects of, of roach management. It was a tough job, but he was ready. He knew his mom and dad would be proud of him. He strapped on his saddle, grabbed a hold of the antennae, and rode to the rodeo to meet his destiny. Part 2. The Rat Wrangler Deep in the soil of Gretna, Louisiana, was a short, stocky woman with five fishing nets combing through the waters. She was knee-deep in the soil, with her net. When she lifted it up, it was filled to the brim with waterlogged rats squirming and hissing. Woohoo! She went with the stocky woman. I done hit the mother load. She climbed out of the sewer with her net and walked to her van. The lady's name is Clara, and her job, rat meat butcher. Clara would go into the, into, the, into, the, into the city's back alleys, trash dumpsters, looking for rats so she could sell their meat out of her van. And today, Clara hit pay dirt. There, there were enough rats in her net, she would go turn a good profit. The city was hungry for rat meat, and Clara was the woman you went to when you wanted some nice juicy rat steak, rat ribs, and sauce. Still smelling of the sore, Clara carried, Clara carried in, in her van. She, she prepared the rats for selling, and she worked her magic. Popular dishes emerged like rat jambalaya, rat gumbo, and RRR. Red beans, rat, and rice. Once the food was prepared, Claire would drive her panel van through the neighborhood of Gretna and Terrytown, Terrytown, Louisiana, shine through a megaphone mounted on top of her van. Rat me here. Got, I got rat me fresh from the sewer straight to your mouth.
Come get your rat meat. She would drive for hours, selling rats to anyone who would buy. Part 3. Combining Forces. Travis, the mutant roach rider, meets Clara, the rat wrangler. In a city where roaches grew to the size of cows, there was only one man who could tame them, one man who could break them. That man was Travis, a mutant roach rider. Travis had been a missionary, but after his mission, he gave up his bike and car for roaches. Travis started a roach ranch where he broke domesticated roaches for public use. Everyone knew the best roaches came from Travis's roach ranch. He would ride his roach, Big Sal, to the Mormon ward, a congregation, which impressed many of the sisters there. But there was only one sister Travis wanted to impress. It was Clara, secretary in the Relief Society. She was a beautiful woman with a bob haircut. She had teeth that could bite tree bark, and her butt was wide as two baby roaches. Travis planned to tell her to tell Clara this, and invited invited to the February Mutant Roach Rodeo, where Travis and other rides would go up to show their roach breaking skills. But Travis wondered, should he ask Clara out? She was out of his league. Sure, Travis was a roach rider, but she was something else. She was a rat meat butcher. She traps rats and sells them for their meat. He saw Claire in the war talking to the bishop. Claire was wearing a blood-stained moo-moo, a necklace of severed rat heads, and shoeboxes on her feet. Now that's a woman, Travis said to himself. Well, there's no time like the present. Travis got a big sow, roped her around the lamppost, and went inside to talk to Clara. Clara, he said, you're the most prettiest woman I done ever see. You're smart. Your eyes are bloodshot. You're shaped like a milk bottle. Would you please go with me? Go with the rodeo to me? Clara looked at him and said, yes. I've been waiting for someone to say that to me. And she hugged and kissed him. Well, it's no problem, ma'am. Travis, Travis, Travis addressed her. What can I say? I'm a sucker from a woman with a nice, with a nice wide roach riding butt. And with that, Travis began to chat, to chat up with, with Clara about going to the rodeo. Then, That was local writer Anthony Charles III. And that's our show. You've been listening to Figure of Speech, a community poetry and writing program from WRBH. Tune in every Saturday at 1 p.m. and on Mondays at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening.